right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. You don't got time that. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson in solo today. Nick is uh, out getting some dental surgery, which does not sound fun, but we're going to have fun because it's a Friday and we are officially two weeks out from the KU football season. That's exciting. Next week is when it's going to feel like, oh, this is right around the corner. Because next week will be one week out. And on top of it, you'll have the the week zero of college football games where you'll see other games. And you'll be like, okay, this is awesome. It's back. But also you're going to be like, yeah, but this isn't the same. They're not that great of games in week zero. And I just want my Kansas football. So we're getting closer, man. Uh, RCST is brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery. We're going to talk plenty KU football today. Um, we have a bunch of KU football audio, Gage Keys, Jim Zabrowski, Matt Gildersleeve. Uh, we're going to get to all of that throughout the show. Andy Kotelnicki, the offense coordinator from KU Football Media Day. So uh, plenty of stuff that, that we're going to get to throughout the, uh, the show here. We also have uh, RCST football trivia. That's going to go down at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. It's our final first-round matchup, so you're not going to want to miss that. And then from 5 to 6 o'clock, I'm actually going to be out live at the, uh, I guess, the early beginning stages of the KU Football Fan Fest event, which is going down tonight over at the practice facility, the indoor practice facility, right next to Memorial Stadium. Uh, So that'll be the west side of Memorial Stadium. So I'm going to be in there doing my show live from 5 to 6 o'clock. I do have like a handful of RCST Trivia basketball uh, t-shirts that I'm going to be giving away, kind of first come, first serve, but I am going to require, if anybody wants to do it, for them to give me like a win-loss prediction or a hot take prediction on KU football or something, you know, just something to uh, get the listeners involved. So if you do happen to be by 5 to 6 o'clock over at the uh, indoor practice facility, I'll be doing my show live. And uh, come on by, say hi, and uh, we'll we'll talk plenty more KU football then during the 5 o'clock hour. But again, two weeks out from the start of the season, KU taking on Missouri State. Uh, that game will happen on Friday, September 1st. And uh, certainly it'll be... Exciting to see KU hit the field once again. The game is going to start at 6.30. That means we'll have all your coverage for you with the Jayhawk Radio Network starting here on KLWN and our sister station, 105.9 KISS, at 5 o'clock. And that means we'll have our live show out of Big Mill before then. We might just do our entire show live out of Big Mill. At the very least, we'll be there from 4 to 5 o'clock. So you're not going to want to miss that stuff at Big Mill where uh, we're going to be giving away all sorts of free stuff, including KU football tickets and having a good time out there. Uh, but two is the amount of points the KU lost to Arkansas by in the 2022 Liberty Bowl. And you go back, and I don't bring this up to you know rub any salt in any wounds or anything. I just wonder how much motivation that can be. You think back to how that game went, and KU being in a point where they were down multiple touchdowns, and you know they score some late touchdowns. It's like oh, okay, you know, cool way to finish. You get a late touchdown, and then it's like oh, you get an onside kick, you make a stop, you, you go down, you get a touchdown. It's like holy cow, we have a chance at this thing. And on one hand, it made the game way more exciting and made the game more f- unforgettable and gave you even more hope and confidence about what Jalen Daniels can be, what this offense can be, what this team can be headed into this year. 
and how close you were, even though it was noticeable. Arkansas did have more athleticism and, you know, just gigantic people on the field that you were able to go toe-to-toe. But I do wonder, if you lose that game by 14 in the end, if you lose that game by 17 points at the end of the final score, how motivating is that bowl game for you? Is it just something that you move on and you're like, yeah, that that whole process, you know, that, that kind of stunk, but we got through it. Obviously, it's going to be motivation because you're going to want to show that, yeah, you can win a bowl game next time. And there are certain lessons you could take away from that. But I do wonder the way it finished. You lose by two points on, on the final play, the way that it was. Does that create extra motivation for this team headed into the offseason? I think it certainly would for a few individuals. Like for Jason Bean, that that probably led to a lot more motivation. Probably enough motivation that he did end up returning. We, we've heard many times from the coaching staff that that was not really a done deal. It was close to him actually leaving the program than it was for him coming back into the program. And you wonder how much that had an impact on on that happening. But you think of being that close, and sometimes that can just lead to that extra motivation. And obviously Kansas, you would hope they were going to be motivated coming into this year because as fun as the 6-6 six and six team was, as fun as making a bowl game was, that's not going to be the be-all, end-all. There still is much higher goals that you're going for as a program. And so you can't be complacent with the 6-6 six and six season. Even though it's your first bowl game in 15 years, you cannot be complacent with that. One way to not be complacent with that and have that feeling of, man, we're so close to getting over another ledge, to taking another step forward, is having a game like that where you were so close and you showed a lot of positives, but you fell just close on one final play that you really can over the offseason talk about, yeah, if you can just make that one extra play, if you can make those two extra plays next season, maybe that is the difference between you winning seven, eight, or nine games in a given year. So as much as that made the game more heartbreaking that you lose by two points, I think that helps this year even more by showing, by just, you know, you you dangled the carrot in front of the face and it's going to lead to even more motivation coming into this season. Uh, Two is also the amount of weeks that KU was ranked in 2022. Both weeks they were ranked 19th. They were ranked 19th the week that they hosted TCU. College game day came by. They lost that game. It was a close loss, obviously. I think people showed a lot of respect for Kansas in that game. So they ended up staying 19 into the next week until they uh, lost that next week to Oklahoma. And then at that point, they dropped out and they never popped back into the top 25 from then on. If I gave you the over-under of the amount of weeks that KU will be ranked this year, again, two last year, you think this year's team is better, but last year's schedule probably, I don't know, did it set up better for an easier start than this year's was? Because... Looking back, it's like you were at a you were on the road against a conference opponent in week two, and then you were playing a really good AAC team who won you know eight games, and and now is in a Power Five in week three. So, did it really set up for that much better for for you to have that you know four and five and start to the season? I mean, Duke was a nine win team. I guess if we just cross compare that way, this year's schedule you play an FCS team. Last year's schedule you play an FCS team. So week one is about even. Maybe you'd say, oh, Missouri State's probably a little bit better than. Uh, Tennessee Tech, and I'd probably agree with that, Um, but still. Then you go to week two. This year, you're going to be playing Illinois at home. I mean, if it's the same Illinois it was last year, then this is a harder game than at West Virginia, but Illinois lost a lot of players. Like, if Illinois is more of a six or seven win team, is playing a six or seven power five team at home, how much different is that than playing a, like, five win team from a power five on the road, right? Those are pretty similar, okay? Then you go to week three of last year, and Last year in week three, you're you're hosting, or I'm sorry, you're on the road against Houston. Um, and gosh, I mean, 
this year in week three, you're going to be at Nevada. Like Houston last year, better than Nevada's expected to. The over-under on Nevada is like four or five wins right now. Houston was a team, again, who won eight games in the American Athletic Conference. So that would be tougher last year. Then you go to week four, Duke at home. That was a Duke team that won nine games. Your week four this year is BYU. Do we think BYU is going to win eight or nine games in the Big 12 in their first year? Probably not. So you'd probably say, okay, that's tougher. And then you go Iowa State last year, who obviously ended up being, you know, the worst team in the Big 12. But, man, they had six one-score losses. So it wasn't like a true 4-8 and eight necessarily. And this year you would be in week five getting Texas. That one's definitely harder. You could argue, though, that this year's path on paper heading into the season is easier for weeks one through four, is easier to start 4-0 and than it was for you last year. Now, last year you had the surprise element both in terms of maybe if, if teams didn't expect you to be very good and in terms of surprising teams with your style of play offensively. So you don't have that going your way this year. But maybe it is conducive for them to, to possibly start. I mean, I mean, if they beat Illinois, if they beat Missouri State in Week 1, Illinois in Week 2, they're going to probably be receiving some votes. They might even be ranked at that point in time. I don't know. They're not receiving any votes now, so that might be tough. Um, but if they start 3-0, and they could be ranked. BYU at 4-0. If, if they're 4-0, they, I, I feel good they will be ranked at the back end. But then the question is, over the course of Big 12 play, when you're losing more games, will you be ranked again? And then you have the college football playoff rankings that come in, and it's a little tougher to crack those rankings resume-wise. So I don't know. I, I'd probably take I've, – I've been picking Kansas to go 7-5, and five, but I don't know. I'd probably take the under on the amount of weeks that they would be ranked, like last year. I could see them being ranked at one point in the season this year. But I don't know how often it's going to be a mainstay in it, even if they end up with more wins than they did a year ago. Uh, two is also the jersey number of Lawrence Arnold and Kobe Bryant. This is uh, one of KU's probably best jersey number tandems. Lawrence Arnold going to be one of the top receivers on the team. Kobe Bryant going to be one of the top defenders, if not the top defender on the team. With Lawrence Arnold's, what can that next step be? He's a 6'3", 6'4", receiver. He's got solid speed. He can win in the intermediate game. Um, he can win jump balls. He can win downfield. Can you add another level there? Can you go from being a good receiver? And, you know, why could that not happen? I You go back to his first season, and I think it was the first pass of the season for KU. I don't know if it was their first offensive play. I think it was their first pass, though. Thomas McVitie starting in 2020. I believe he was targeting Lawrence Arnold. Or was that? That, that might have been later in the game. I might be confusing certain things. There was a play, though, where ball went off the hands of Lawrence Arnold on like a slant route, popped in the air, and was intercepted. Okay, so that happened. So that's that's year one of Lawrence Arnold's as a true freshman. Talent's there, but you're still trying to find things. Year two, you go to being a more, you know, impactful player than that, but still you're looking at like 300 receiving yards for the year, the year that 2021 where Kwame Laster is your go-to target in the year one of the Lance Leipold era. And then you go to last year, and he breaks out from that and becomes – for my money, one of the probably top 10 receivers in the Big 12 last year. Um, I, the stats wouldn't show it, but I thought he was super impactful in everything he did, and KU had such a balanced offense that it's going to lower some of your receiving numbers. And that might be the case again this year. He might end up with 750 receiving yards just because you have a lot of other receivers and tight ends and running backs to throw to and running backs you're running the ball with, and it's hard to put up those individual stats. What if he does? I mean, he's got all the tools to do it. And, and literally, the point of me going through those years was to show he has taken a step forward each of his years at Kansas. Eventually, you get to a point where how much more is there to raise up your game to?
But I don't view that to be the case at all with Lawrence Arnold. I think there is more untapped potential. And I would not be surprised at all if, and, and I apply this too for some of the other receivers. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if any of those starting receivers, Quentin Skinner, Luke Grimm, or Lawrence Arnold, one of them broke out to have a 900, 1,000-yard receiving season, which hasn't been done since, I, I think even 900 yards since Steven Sims, and the 1,000 yards hasn't been done since the uh, Kerry Meyer, Desmond Briscoe days. It would not shock me if any of those three were able to ramp up to that level of play. And if one of them can do it, it just takes your receiver group to the next level because you already do have a good receiver group. If you can have that go-to guy that, that bails you out of really tough situations, I mean, that is so impactful. Kobe Bryant, meanwhile, we expect him to be a really good player. He had three interceptions last year, and I remember thinking of him as a ball-hawking corner, and he certainly is. I expect that number to go up, though. I expect that number to be around a handful plus. And can you, on top of that, be an even more lockdown type of corner? He was first-team All-Big 12. Can you take the next step? Can you be an All-American corner? Can you go be a guy who has a good enough season that we're talking about at the end of the year. Yeah, Kobe Bryant's got to go pro. He's going to be a day two draft pick. He's going to be a second-round draft pick, third-round draft pick, because he had such a great season. That is what you want out of him this season, and that's entirely possible. And that would be certainly helpful for the defense because if you can kind of put an island on one side of the field, it allows you to do a lot more structurally with the other side and other areas of the field to take those away too. Two is the amount of rushing touchdowns that Kai Thomas had last year, which I thought was interesting. Um, he had two rushing touchdowns. He also had one receiving touchdowns. And the reason I bring this up, obviously Kai Thomas no longer on the team, transferred away. Why am I bringing this up? Well, a couple of reasons. One, you could talk about Kai Thomas had very high expectations for what he was going to do at KU, had to deal with some injuries throughout the season, and I don't think everything totally clicked with what KU was asking of him and, and what he was kind of bringing to the table. Um. Can you get similar, if not better, production from Dylan McDuffie who came in? I think you absolutely can. But the other reason I bring this up, his two rushing touchdowns are the only rushing touchdowns you lost off of last year's team. His one receiving touchdown is the only receiving touchdown that you lost off last year's team. So if you're saying Kai Thomas, who had a, a tough season with KU, is the only player you lost touchdowns from, I mean, that's that's pretty incredible. Like, how much is that continuity and consistency worth? Because we know there's a lot of talent there. How much can those players improve? How much is another year of playing with each other where guys have good feel for where they're going to be? How much does that matter? I mean, that, that's a stupendous stat. You Usually, well, it's like, well, of course, we knew Kansas had a lot returning. They have 10 starters back. But to hear that all of their touchdowns but three are back on the offensive side of the ball, that's ridiculous. Uh, two is the amount of interceptions that were had by Mello Dotson, O.J. Burrows, and Kenny Logan. With Mello, you had some more ups and downs. You look at some of the, the targeting numbers when he was being targeted, I think around a 64% completion rate when he was being targeted on the defensive side of the ball. He, though, still was has been kind of thrown into the fire as an underclassman. I mean, realistically, as a staff, and, and this is kind of the point where you might be going in the future. So think about this. If, let's say you get two more years of Melo Dotson and Kobe Bryant. You have all these young freshmen who have come in this year who are supposed to be good corners in the future. Ja'Cory Davis, Jameel Croft. You have all those young corners that are going to be coming in for next year's class that are supposed to be really good players, from Jalen Todd to Andre Gibson and on down the line of, of what KU is bringing in next year. Because of what you have in front of them, those guys aren't going to be asked to really play or be starters, like maybe rotate in, but to be like the front-line guys till they're third-year players. Maybe if you're really good when you're a second-year player. 
Melo Dotson and Kobe Bryant were not afforded that luxury. Roster wasn't as deep. They were thrown into the fire. And so as much as you know, some of the stats didn't love Melo last year, I, I think there was enough flash plays that you saw that there's some real good potential there. And I almost view it this way. You had a trial by fire the last couple of years, and you had a lot of successes even then. Now you go into this year, realistically, if the roster under Les Miles and David Beatty and the past staffs had been built up to a point, this might have been Melo Dotson's first year as a starter. And so I'm trying to remove the any of the negatives of, yeah, going back and looking at you know what he gave up yards per throw and yards per route run and the completion percentage because I'm almost viewing it as like, yeah, those were just kind of the baseline years. Like, this is the year, year three is when you as a corner should be thrown into the fire. And so anything that he did in the past is kind of the cherry on top. And there were, like I said, flash plays there. So I'll be interested to see how much he can take a jump forward. It's going to be very important. Um, going back to the idea of Kobe Bryant is a lockdown corner. Of course, you can help on the other side because you do have that island. But that does put more stress on a guy like Melo Dotson to be like, hey, they're going to throw the ball my way even more often, right? Because they're going to try to avoid Kobe Bryant. So that puts more pressure on you to play well. OJ Burroughs has been a guy I've been big on since uh, he was a freshman. And um, I, he took, I thought, a big step over the course of his first season from the beginning to the end. Took another step last year. If he can take another step forward, it would not shock me if he was a guy who ended up with like you know, five, six interceptions. He's a ball hawk. And then can Kenny Logan, can he be a guy who uh, makes a big impact all the way around, being the the quarterback of the back end of the defense, being a guy who comes up and makes big hits and can prevent big running plays, being a guy even on special teams who's returning kicks for touchdowns. Those are all big questions and uh, things that you expect to happen for uh, KU. Two is also the amount of fumble recoveries that Hayden Hatcher and Tory Lachlan had. Jeremy Robinson had two and forced a couple also. And um, it'll be interesting to see the, the role that Hayden Hatcher specifically plays. I expect Jeremy Robinson to play a big role on this team, but uh, how good is Hayden Hatcher going to be with some of that weight gain? And then can you have Tory Lachlan, like, can you have an expanded role for him? Because it seems like everything that he did, he was kind of like King Midas. Everything he touched turned to gold. He was on the field, touchdown. He was on special teams, forced fumble. Like, he was just in so many winning plays. Can you take advantage of that more? Is it possible? Or is the role he is in the perfect role and you don't want to overstress that because then it takes away from some of that luxury? I think those are going to be very interesting for KU this season. All right, we got plenty of uh, KU football audio, plenty more KU football talk coming throughout the show here. We're going to take a time out when we come back. Gage Keys, one of the transfer linemen from Minnesota, spoke with the media earlier this week. We'll share that audio on the other side. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, klwn.com, and the KLWN app. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, 4 o'clock hour here. I'm Derek Johnson going solo today on this edition of RCST. Coming up, we'll have some uh, Andy Kotelnicki audio from KU Football Media Day. Also going to be out from 5 to 6 over at the indoor practice facility for uh, KU Football Fan Fest. We'll talk some more KU football, Chiefs preseason, and uh, more coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. RCST trivia, though. We've got our fourth and final first-round matchup, and then we'll have the quarterfinals completely set. RCST football trivia brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Jayhawk Trophy, Johnny's Tavern, McDonald's, and Mr. D's Auto Wash and Lawrence Shirt Factory. With 23rd Street Brewery, you can dine in, carry out, or get catering all available at their outdoor patio. going to be a little hot this weekend, but you know, recently it's actually been perfect to be on the outdoor patio. You can bring your dog out there, too. Try the Bill Self Mac and Cheese, the Haney Turkey Stack, 
any of the great menu items from all the appetizers to the pastas to the sandwiches, the burgers. It's all great with 23rd Street Brewery. And don't forget about the 23rd Street Brewery beer, which you can get to go with their Crowlers. They have a new brewer in there, so you can try some of the new stuff as well with 23rd Street Brewery. Our lone matchup today is a 10-7 matchup. It's between Brad Wandell and Andrew Wymore. And Andrew is receiving votes in the RCST Trivia Top 10. He is the 7 seed. He went 2-1 and one and won his division en route to getting 28 points. Brad Wandell has gone 2-1. and one. He uh, has 27 points. Had that big win against Ryan Goodwin in the finale. Earned himself a spot as a... Uh, as a wild card to uh, make it in. RCST Football Trivia brought to you by Jayhawk Trophy with custom awards and engraving experts in Lawrence. You can check them out for any plaques, fantasy football awards, fantasy basketball, whatever you play, uh, youth sports league awards. If you need something that's more of a customized thing, like a customized binder or like we have our, our customized RCST uh, tumblers that we're giving away. You can get all those done with Jayhawk Trophy because they are awards and engraving experts. You can check out their wide selection of product online, or you can stop by their store on 6th Street in Lawrence. Um, by the way, this bowl game will finish out, obviously, the uh, uh, rest of the first round of the playoffs here. Andrew was the winner of the Brewery Conference with – Brad coming out of the Johnny's Tavern Conference. Officially, this is the 23rd Street Brewery Haney Turkey Stack Bowl, and the winner will take on the two-seed Blake Farrell in the Johnny Wilson Burger Bowl. And uh, we are brought to you by Johnny's Tavern in 2023. Johnny's Tavern celebrating its 70th year anniversary. That's good news for you because they'll be having all sorts of specials at your local Johnny's throughout the year. Stay tuned for more information about that 70th year anniversary. There's now 13 locations of Johnny's from Topeka to the newest store in Raymore, Missouri. You can try all the great food or any of the great beer, including the Blue Collar Lager, a beer you can only get at Johnny's that's brewed by Free State Brewing Company. Into our first and only matchup of the day and our final matchup of the first round of RCST Football Trivia 2023 playoffs. 7-10 matchup between Andrew Wymore and Brad Wandell. Both of you guys 2-1 in the regular season. 28 points for Andrew, 27 for Brad. So this should be a fun matchup as the winner will move on to the quarterfinal round to take on the two seed in Blake Farrell. Andrew, I want to start with you. You won your division en route to earning a spot here in the postseason uh, do you reset? Is there high expectations? Is anything from here just the cherry on top? What's your view of, of your uh, own season here as we head into the postseason? Yeah, everybody's 0-0 zero zero now. Uh, so we think we've had a good week of practice. And we're happy to be here at uh, the uh, 23rd Street Brewery. Headed out to the dog-friendly patio. Uh, shortly here, I'm going to enjoy a Haney Turkey Stack. That's right. This is the 23rd Street Brewery Haney Turkey Stack Bowl. And uh, Brad, you're trying to get your first postseason victory, as are a lot of our contestants here in this week. You had to win last week to make it here, though, to the postseason, and you were able to come through in overtime. Do you feel like you're riding high momentum into uh, the postseason? Uh, I mean, every game stands by itself, Derek. So we're just going to take it one question at a time. What happened last week? I don't want to say it doesn't matter at all because it got me here, but it has no bearing on this game in particular. So one at a time, and I'm hopeful you'll give me some questions that I know. 
All right, well, uh, let's get to the coin toss. Brad, you are the lower seed. You have the option. Do you want heads or tails on the coin? I'll go with heads. It is tails. It is tails. So uh, that means, Andrew, you have won the coin toss. Do you want to go first or do you want to go second? I'll go first. All right. Andrew's going to go first. So that means that, Brad, you'll be up second. We're going to start in the first quarter of play. These are the easy questions, and they're worth three points. First up for you, Andrew. In week three of the 2023 season, Kansas will head on the road to take on what Mountain West school, nicknamed the Wolfpack? Nevada. Nevada is the correct answer, and uh, that'll be a game that I'd imagine KU will be favored in by a decent amount of points. I guess it depends how Nevada does the week before against USC and how Kansas does the week before against Illinois. Okay, Brad, your first question for three points. In week four of the 2023 season, Kansas will host what former Mountain West school and former independent school that is now nicknamed the Cougars? Oh, there goes the shutout. That's BYU. <laughs> that's right. You cannot be shut out, which that's got to feel nice that uh, you're on the board in the playoffs. All right, three to three is the score as we head to the second quarter of play. These are now worth six points in our medium round. Back to you, Andrew. The last time that Kansas gave up 500 yards rushing in a single game was in 2014 against what Big 12 opponent? Is that TCU? That was not. That was actually Oklahoma. It was the Samaje Piran game when he ran for over 400 yards. Uh, Texas actually got pretty close last year. I think they ran for like 420, 450, somewhere in that range. All right, Brad, that means you have an opportunity to take the lead into the halftime break here with your medium question. Kansas won just one Big 12 game in that 2014 season. It was a 34-14 home victory against who? Uh, 24. Was that Iowa State? That was Iowa State. I think there were a couple of Big 12 wins during the Weiss era, Iowa State, West Virginia. Iowa State was the correct answer for that one, and you take a 9-3 lead headed into the halftime break. All right, Andrew, if you can hit this one, you move back in front, put a little pressure on Brad in the hard round. This is worth seven points. Name one of two Jayhawks who are set to wear the number seven jersey here in 2023. Jason Bean. Jason Bean will wear number nine. The correct answers for this one were Trevor Wilson. He's the offensive player, receiver. And then the defensive player, this is kind of a unique one, Gage Keys, the defensive lineman transferred in from Minnesota. He'll be wearing number seven this year. All right, that means that, Brad, if you can answer just one of your next two questions correctly, you will secure the win, which means if you can answer this one correctly, you will clinch the victory and move on in the postseason. Your hard question, Brad. Name one of two Jayhawks who are set to wear the number 28 jersey in 2023. Um, not a great category for me, but I, I think O.J. Burroughs maybe. O.J. Burroughs will not be wearing number 28. That will be occupied on the defensive side by J.B. Brown, also a transfer into the program from Bowling Green. On the offensive side of the ball, it'll be uh, one of the backup running backs, Savion Morrison, 
will be uh, wearing the number 28 uniform. All right, that keeps you alive, Andrew. It is to 9-3 headed into the fourth quarter, but that means, Andrew, you have to answer this really hard question correct to have a chance to move on in the postseason. It's worth eight points. Andrew, your question. In KU's 2008 season opener against Florida International, who led the team in rushing attempts? Angus Quigley? The correct answer is Jaquez Crawford. Jaquez Crawford, you were close with that one. And uh, just like that, and or uh, Brad, you have... You have earned the victory here. You're moving on in the playoffs. Do you want to answer one more question just for the fun of it and for the sake of points? Yeah, why not? Let's do it. All right. In KU's 2008 season opener against Florida International, who led the team in rushing yards? Angus Quigley. <laughs> that is correct. Wow. Sometimes the order of the questions will absolutely <laughs> kill you. I got lucky on that one. I <laughs> felt bad asking that. Uh, that's heartbreaking when it comes out that way. Angus Quigley was the correct answer. Uh, so, Brad, that means you come through with a 17-3 to win. But don't let the final score fool you. This was uh, a lot closer for comfort. Would you have known, Brad, the uh, Jacquez Crawford one, or would you have known the Trevor Wilson or Gage Keys one? Would not have known the Trevor Wilson or Gage Keys. I would have had the same guess of Angus Quigley that Andrew had. So. I was very fortunate in the order right there, but sometimes better be lucky than good. So would I'll you, take it. Would you have known the uh, Oklahoma one in the medium round? That would have been my guess. I wouldn't have been 100% sure, but the Samaj P. Ryan, P. Ryan game was definitely the one that was popping into my head. So I thought there was a previous question from another matchup where there was a more recent game where, where I thought the answer was Oklahoma, but that might have been for 400 rushing yards. And I'm not quite sure what that was, but Oklahoma definitely would have been my guess, at least. Andrew, uh, tough way to lose that way when it, when it comes down that way with the questions. I mean, you've been in this enough with trivia, basketball, football, that you've probably been on both sides of the coin here with uh, some of the questions sometimes going your way, sometimes I'm not going your way. So I don't, I don't know. How do you move on from, from a, a loss like that? That's going to be tough, Derek. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, we're happy with our prog, uh, the progression that we made this season, uh, going from one win last season, uh, to the playoffs, uh, this year and, and with one overtime loss before today. Uh, certainly, um, like Brad says, <laughs> better be lucky than good. And, and, uh, but hats off to you, Brad. And, um, you know, now we just got to, hit the recruiting trail and be living in the transfer portal there we go appreciate that brother well uh andrew for anybody who loses in the playoffs i'm, I'm giving them an open floor do you have any predictions hot takes or, or just things you're excited for for ku football here in the fall well i think everybody should go out to the stadium this evening uh for the big kickoff event should be a beautiful night and um you know every everybody needs to pitch in and get your tickets do your part all right there we go well said well brad we'll see you next week andrew thanks for being a part of this as always man hey, thank you good luck brad thanks man gosh that's that's a tough loss for andrew with the way that the questions come out there in the uh really hard round but brad moving through he's going to be taking on blake farrell in the quarterfinal round so brad the winner of the 23rd street brewery haney turkey stack bowl 
that game against Blake will be the Johnny Wilson Burger Bowl. So our quarterfinal round is set. Our CST football trivia brought to you by McDonald's and Mr. D's Auto Wash. Both in the Lawrence area, you can get your car wash, you can get a bite to eat with McDonald's. So our quarterfinals will go as this. The eight-seed Kyle Martin against the one-seed Eric Hansey in the Johnny's Blue Collar Lager Bowl. The five-seed Skinner Wenninger against the four-seed Jackson Schneider in the Johnny's Nuke Lelouch Bowl. The 11 seed Aaron Mayer against the three seed Isaac Henderson in the Johnny's Wilson Wings Bowl, and the 10 seed Brad Wandell against the two seed Blake Farrell in the Johnny Wilson Burger Bowl. RCST football trivia brought to you by Lawrence Shirt Factory. They can help you out with customized gear. They can help you come up with a design, or if you have one, they can help you out on custom T-shirts, hats, sweaters, whatever you need done with Lawrence Shirt Factory. They're located right next to Munchers in Lawrence. All right, well, uh, that's going to do it for the first week of the playoffs for RCST Football Trivia. So the first round has concluded. We'll move on to those quarterfinals next week, throughout the week, mostly later in the week of next week. And, uh, of course, if you miss any of our past trivia matchups, you can catch them on the Best of RCST podcast wherever you get any of your podcasts. Uh, but we're going to take a timeout here. When we come back, we're going to switch gears a little bit. Andy Kotelnicki, KU Offensive Coordinator, spoke with the media earlier this week and uh, spoke plenty about the offense as part of KU Football Media Day. We'll share that audio with you coming up throughout the rest of the hour. And don't forget, too, you heard Andrew talking about going to the Fan Fest event tonight. I'm going to be out there from 5 to 6 o'clock. Uh, doing the last hour of my show there live. I'll try to bring some, I don't know, maybe some t-shirts, something that we can give away uh, if you stop by. And I don't know, maybe if you want to share a uh, KU football take or win prediction, something like that, you can out at uh, the FanFest event. Again, we'll be there from 5 to 6 o'clock. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, klwn.com and the KLWN app. Depend on it years old. Tanya J. Powers, Fox News. Police in Meriden, Connecticut, who found a kitten inside a stolen car and are trying to find the owner, say they've determined the kitten belongs to a juvenile suspect who was arrested after the car crashed. I'm Lee Silicera. This is Fox News. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Back in Rock Shock Sports Talk on KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson playing solo today. Thank you to Sam Speck covering things back in the studio. I'm actually live at the practice facility, the indoor practice facility for KU football here as uh, they get ready for their Fan Fest event, which is uh, going to be going on here in about an hour and a half from right now when everything starts in. But I think you can kind of head in whenever. Uh, officially starting at 6.30. They got a bunch of cool stuff going on. Uh, they got a bunch of food trucks outside. It's the Uplift Coffee. There's a corn dog truck, all sorts of stuff, uh, like shaved ice, everything. And then inside, inside the practice facility, so it's a little cooler in here, we've got a couple different, like, areas where you can go through and get some free stuff and probably sign up for different things. They've got a big video board that I'm sure they're going to be showing certain stuff. So uh, come on out. I'm sure it's going to be a good time here at FanFest as I'm going to be doing the last hour of my show from here. I do have like a handful of trivia shirts. They're the uh, basketball shirts. We're still waiting on our football shirts to arrive. But uh, our basketball shirts, we do have like a handful of them. So if you're interested in getting one and you can make it out here before I get off the air at 6 o'clock, I might ask you like a trivia question just for fun, or maybe ask you a fun KU football prediction or favorite player, I'm going to make you give some air time, and then I'll get you the uh, T-shirt. So come on by if you are going to be out here a little bit early. I know 
A lot of people might have just speaking it off work, so you can head over to the FanFest event over here. Uh, okay, so I actually, our KU football superlative um, little bowl with our pieces of paper that we have that we draw randomly. They have different superlatives, and then we talk about them. I do not have that on me, but I actually drew one before I left so that I could have it and talk about it. So our KU football superlative for the day was most impactful long-term transfer. I think the other day we actually had most impactful like short-term transfer, and obviously there are a lot of guys you could have for more of the short-term. Uh, Dylan McDuffie is going to be here for just one year as the running back. Patrick Joyner as a pass rusher. Seth Keller as a kicker with one year left. Like He could have a big impact. Devin Phillips, there have been a lot of good things said about him, what he's doing to the defensive line group and how he's kind of raising that unit. Um, if you're going long-term, though, the names are different. And this has actually been something that the KU staff has done an excellent job of. Think about all the players that they've brought in who have made an impact on this team, who are on the two deep, who are starters, who are playing key roles that aren't just transfers, but they're long-term transfers. They're transfers they bring in that have two, three, or even in some cases maybe four years left of college football in front of them. And that allows you to make sure you're bringing on possibly experienced and you know power five level players while at the same point in time you're getting guys that have more time in case it does take a little bit longer to get acclimated with the university, with the program, with uh, how practice works, with the playbook, that it's going to really kind of slow things down. So, I mean, it, like I said, if you just go back to year one when Lance Leipold and the staff was here, like think about some of the long-term transfers they brought in. Mike Nowitzki, this will be his third year here at Kansas. Talk about the impact that he's had. Michael Ford, same thing, a couple of years. Rich Miller. Now for three years, they brought Jason Bean in in that first year. This will now be his third year and someone who uh, certainly can make a big impact here. Um, last year, you bring in guys like Craig Young, who now is working on his second year. Marvin Grant working on his second year. And I think he can have even one more after this. Doug Emelian came in as like redshirt freshman. So he can have three years remaining, including this year, four years if you include last year. Right. There's a lot of players they've been able to do this with. So. I guess it kind of depends how we value this as far as the impact, because if a player comes in and he has a large impact in just one year, is that worth more than a player who has an average impact over two years? Now, on the flip side, if you have a guy who, let's say, has three good years, what's worth more? Is the three good years worth more, or is one average year and then one great year to finish off, right? That's kind of part of it that, that makes it tough to discuss. But maybe that gives you more reason to pick somebody who could be here for three years, or even four, as opposed to maybe somebody who's going to be two. But I am, because this is a question about long-term transfer impact, I'm not going to pick anybody who's only going to be here for one year. So here's the names that would come up if you're talking about more long-term transfers and their impact for KU. Gage Keys, we played his audio earlier today. He's a red sophomore so he'll still have this year and two more years after that gives you three years in the program he might already be on the two deep this year at the defensive tackle spot um Devin Phillips obviously going to graduate at the end of this year maybe he's a starter by next year even if he's not this year then you have Austin Booker he's a redshirt sophomore for all we know Booker could win the starting defensive end shot uh, uh, uh opposite of Jeremy Robinson I'm not predicting that to happen I think Hayden Hatcher and Patrick Joyner probably have the leg up in that conversation but it wouldn't be crazy. And again, you look at Patrick Joyner, he's going to be gone after the year. Hayden Hatcher going to be gone after the year. So Austin Booker could be a starter as soon as next year. He's six foot six, 245 pounds, 
Uh, we played the Matt Gildersleeve audio earlier today. You don't think that's a guy that he could add 10, 15, 20 pounds to in an offseason and turn into an ultra-productive player for you? That long-term, he could be that guy. Dylan Brooks, he's a redshirt sophomore, former you know top 300 recruit in the country. He was a four-star, went to Auburn, spent about a year or two in the program. Uh, they're going to look to get more weight on him, but he's someone who clearly has the athleticism, the length, the speed, the quickness you're looking for from that position, that why could he not eventually turn into what his recruiting rank was coming in? And who knows, if he would have stuck around Auburn for another year or two, maybe he would have turned into that guy in long term for Auburn. So what if you end up with that here at Kansas? Honestly, you could almost say it about any defensive lineman and keep it generic and just be like, the best long-term transfer impact KU will get is just a defensive lineman. I don't know which of those three between Keys, Booker, or Brooks will have the best long-term career. I think Keys has the best chance to get on the field and make an impact this year. But long-term, it might be, you know, the ceiling of Booker or Brooks might be a little bit higher there, especially when you look at the defensive end position where you're just inherently going to have a big impact on the game and rushing the passer to where it'd probably be one of those two guys. It's just, you don't necessarily know which one, like what if only one of them hits, or what if one of them is a solid player and one of them is an all-Big 12 player. It's kind of tough to figure out which one you would go with. Um, Logan Brown, maybe you could have a conversation there. He's a redshirt junior. I don't know that he's going to start this year on the offensive line, former highly rated five-star offensive tackle. But even if he doesn't start this year, what if he's a depth piece on the offensive line? And then what if next year things do click, and in his final year at KU, he ends up being that impact-level player that lives up to the hype of his recruiting rank. And if that happens, like if you're talking about a guy who was a, a former five-star recruit, if you live up to the hype, so to speak, does that mean that you're an all-conference player? Does that mean you're a day one or day two NFL draft pick? At that point, the impact of having even that one season, even if he's not going to start this year, would be so immense, especially after you're going to lose Dominic Pooney after this year. So that would be up there. But, you know, being that he seems a little behind the eight ball right now in the depth chart, I don't think that would be the answer. I'm kind of between two guys, even all those guys I mentioned. I think I'm between these two, Demarius McGee and J.V. Brown. So Demarius McGee is a redshirt sophomore, transferred in from LSU, former four-star recruit. You can have this year and two more years with Demarius McGee. And it'll be tough this year because you have Kobe Bryant, Melo Dotson, Kalen Gervin as a senior is coming back into to being kind of on that too deep and nickelback type role, third corner type role for you. Even have Brian Dilworth, who, who could impact on uh, some of the playing time, and then those two good freshmen with Jameel Croft and Ja'Cory Davis that you have coming in. Um, so it's, it's not going to be easy to get playing time right away. But you look after this year. Kobe Bryant going to have a decision to make if he has the, the same season he had the year before about going pro or coming back. Um, Kalen Gervin will obviously be gone. So there will be immediate playing time kind of opening up that Demarius McGee could become the guy. And then at the very least, by the time Demarius McGee would be a redshirt senior, we know for sure Kobe Bryant and Melo Dotson would be gone because they would have exhausted their eligibility in addition to Caleb Gervin. So you're looking at a guy who could be a rotational corner this year, possibly a starter next year, if not darn close, and by the next year be a starter. Uh, that's a guy who's ultra-talented, heard good things about him in camp. He could be a really impactful player for you over the long term. J.B. Brown is a junior, so with this one you get less years out of it. He might not start. To begin the season, we'll kind of see what the, the injury status with Taiwan Berryhill is. He's been going through some stuff uh, over the course of camp so far. Uh, but it wouldn't surprise me if by the end of the year, by the middle of the season, if J.B. Brown was starting. Now, maybe it's more realistic 
Rich Miller graduates at the end of this season. J.B. Brown takes over the starting role next season. And that becomes tough because then it's like, do you take the two years and the one year as a starter of J.B. Brown, or do you take the three years of Jamarius McGee where one or two years could be a starter in terms of that long-term impact? I'm really high on J.B. Brown, but I think you got to go the years. I'll say Demarius McGee has the best long-term impact of any of the transfers that they brought in. Once again, we're here at uh, KU Fan Fest here for the rest of our show on Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on your Friday from 5 to 6 o'clock. Don't forget you can check out anything you miss on the best of RCSD podcast wherever you get any of your podcasts and at KUSports.com. Uh, we also have our KU Football Friday question of the day, which today is what does the path look like for KU to compete for the Big 12 title? Okay. Some of you might be rolling your eyes. Some of you might be saying, really, we're going from a hey, made first bowl game in 15 years. Why are we getting to this conversation yet? Well, it's the offseason. It's fun. Why not? You know, shoot for the stars or, or shoot for the moon, hitting the clouds, whatever that saying is, uh, something along those lines. But I don't think it's that crazy that Kansas were to work into that conversation. I'm not saying they should be the favorite. I'm not saying, you know, they, they're, they're going to be a Big 12 title contender. There is a real outcome where that's possible, and I don't think you should be looked at crazy for necessarily thinking that's going to happen. I've talked about that my prediction, I've, Kansas going 7-5. and five. I've been winning more games than they did last year. That would be a really successful season. That would be another win up from the year before. Everything about that would be great. But if somebody wants to come up to me and say that you think Kansas is going to win nine games, could contend to win ten games this year, I'm not going to roll my eyes at it. Right? If you would have said that last year, as, as good as last year ended up being, and who knows, maybe if Jalen Daniels were, were healthy the whole way through, maybe that was more of a conversation. If you would have said that going into last year, though, I, I kind of laughed along with the people who, yeah, they're going 9-3, and 10-2. and two. Not in a bad way, just in like a, I love your optimism. Um, we'll see. We'll see. This year, though, if you say that, 9 or 10 wins, I'm not laughing at all. I'm not, I'm not going, yeah, you're just being a fun fan, and, and that's awesome for you, but I'm not going to get there. I can get there if you want to get there. Um, so what does that path look like? First of all, you need probably another year, because this is what happened last year, where one of, if not both, of Texas and Oklahoma are not dominant. Now, that's very possible. Oklahoma's coming off a six-win season. The defense was horrendous last year. You would think with another year in the Brent Venable system, which is very complicated, that they'll get a lot better there. They have good athletes. They have a lot of four- or five-star players in the program, highly regarded three-star players in the program, that you would expect a big jump. They bring back Dylan Gabriel. The offense was really good last year. They just had injuries and maybe some inconsistencies. But um, what if Oklahoma's 7-5, and 8-4? and four? Well, they're a good team, but they're not you know, dominant Oklahoma. That's entirely possible, because that would still be an improvement from the year before, but it wouldn't be anything crazy. Now, Texas. How many times have we had the conversation, is Texas back, Texas you know, going to win the Big 12, compete for the Big 12? I don't think we get the level that we are this year. Like This year, they are more consistently being seen as the top team in the conference, top 10, top 15 team. Usually, the conversation's about, like, or is Texas back? It's more like, they're predicted to finish third or fourth, and it's like, can they be in the top two? So this one might be a little different this year, but what if, again, what if even they are one of the best teams in the conference? What if they're more of an 8-4, and 9-3 and three type team as opposed to that 10-2, and 11-1 type team where they're just purely dominant, and it is more possible for teams to kind of take wins off of them? It's very possible that could happen. If both end up being dominant, though, that's where it becomes difficult to really get to that conversation. Because then it's like, which one are you butting in over? If one of them is even down, even if Texas lives up to the hype, if Oklahoma's down, that does leave a pretty big opening for who would be the second team playing in Arlington in the Big 12 championship. And then from there, what are Kansas State going to look like? TCU, 
uh, some of the other breakouts, like which school is going to break out? <laughs> could, it, could it be Kansas in this conversation? We, we've seen teams break out in the past. Baylor, a lot of people have been picking Texas Tech. Oklahoma State has an easy enough schedule. Could one of the new schools do it? Uh, we'll kind of see. TCU kind of did it last year into the extreme, not just from the Big 12 level, but from a national level. You know, um, those are all obviously real conversations because if one of those teams becomes what TCU was last year, a 12-0 team, and then you have one of Texas or Oklahoma – to the level that we think they can get of like a nine or 10 win team, then it's going to be really hard to make a big 12 title game. But if both of those are down or if one of those is down and you don't get that TCU type kind of surprise season from last year, that leaves an opening for you to maybe crack into. Now, if we look back into the past teams who have made the big 12 championship, which obviously would qualify as contending for a big 12 title. And maybe the better way of putting this is, can you at least contend to make a big 12 championship game? I think that's a, a maybe more prudent conversation here. So for the teams who made the Big 12 championship game, which obviously shows you were contending, you actually made it. Um, if we go back to 2017, because there was there was a big gap, obviously, between Big 12 championship games from when the league went down from 12 to 10 teams to then when they applied for the waiver, got it, and now uh, have gotten up to you know 14 teams for this year. Um, they didn't have a Big 12 championship from, what, 2012 through 2016? So it returned in 2017, which that's where I want to go with, because that is the current iteration of the Big 12, at least until this year with some of the new schools. But it gives you a more realistic view of how this has kind of gone. Um, only of the 12 teams that have made the Big 12 championship since they resumed the game in 2017, only two of the 12 teams have had three losses going into the game. There have been some teams that maybe have had three losses after the game or after their bowl game, but going into the Big 12 championship, only two of the 12 have had three losses. One of them actually was last year with Kansas State, um, which means most likely the majority of the time for you to make it to the conference championship, you have to be only a two-loss team at best. So the idea that you can get in with a 6-3 and three conference record is possible, but you have to have the right tiebreaker, and it has to be the right year, right? Last year, Oklahoma down, Texas down, um, Oklahoma State down. So Kansas State gets in with three losses, right? In the normal year, you go back, I don't know, three, four years ago, Kansas State with their three losses might not get in. So if you're going to get in with three losses, you need the right scenario around you. But for the most part, that's not happening. For winners, too, if we want to go to that level, of what it takes to win the conference there have been three teams and this is if we go back the entirety of the big 12 from when the conference has had um regular season winners or postseason winners so all the way back to whatever 1996 1997 there have only been three times since then so that's over 25 years almost 30 years only three times where a team with three or more losses entering the game won it so it does not happen very often. So as much as I would like to be like, well, if Kansas can find a way to get to 9-3, and three, maybe they could have a chance in the Big 12 title. Even though Kansas State did that last year, that's not the norm, and I think you could count on. Oddly enough, actually, the first year of the Big 12 in 1996, Texas was the Big 12 champion. They were 8-5 and five as Big 12 champion. Um, they upset Nebraska, who was a top-two team in the Big 12 championship and ended up winning the league. Uh, Kansas State was one of the three lost teams, as I mentioned, from last year. But that means, realistically, you've got to be at least a 10-2 and two team to win it, and you might need to be 10-2 and two if you just want to get in. And it's funny because 
nine and three and ten and two isn't that big of a difference. It's one game that could be one play, that could be one series, that could be one turnover that goes your way. But for Kansas, when you're more being predicted around six or seven wins right now, five, six, seven, eight wins, the difference between getting nine wins versus getting ten wins sounds like a gigantic leap. Um, still, though, if we're just talking making the game and maybe the league is so different now, you add some teams, it was different last year, maybe nine and three does get you in in a decent amount of years. So I guess it kind of circles back to the idea of contending. Like, does contending, does the word contending, does that imply that they just have, that they're in the Big 12 title game? Does it imply that they can win the title game, that they're favorites? Does it just imply that they have a chance of making the Big 12 title game? And where does that draw come in? Right? If you're, if you're a game back of making the Big 12 title game with two weeks to go, is that good enough? In my mind, to really compete, to contend for a Big 12 title game appearance, I view it as being like you have to be at least within a game headed into the last week of the regular season. So that's how I would view it. And that means for that to hit, that doesn't mean you have to play in the Big 12 title game. It just means you're reasonably in a situation in the last week where you're like, if we win this game and this team loses, and maybe if this other team loses for a tiebreaker, we can still make the Big 12 championship, which means win total for Kansas to be to that point, in addition to some of those other things with you know maybe some other teams being down, is that Kansas would have to go at minimum eight and four, but that's an eight and four with a six and three conference record, right? That would be eight and four where you lose to Illinois and go six and three in conference. Five and four in conference ain't getting it done, which means you might have to go nine and three and be seven and two in Big 12 play, or go nine and three and be six and three in Big 12 play, but have the right tiebreakers. Hope it's a down year. At the very least, though, that would get you in contention. Back to that word, depending on kind of what you mean. From an on-field perspective. How does Kansas get to the point where they are contending for a Big 12 title this year? I think it's a lot simpler than you might think. Kansas had the number two offense in points per game in the Big 12 last year. They were number one in yards per play. They were number one in passing yards per play. They were number one in rushing yards per play. TCU was the number one offense in the conference last year in points per game. Now, it's a little tougher for Kansas in some of the total yard and point per game categories because they are a slower tempo team. Texas Tech, Oklahoma, some of these schools are going to run 80 to 90 plays in a game. Kansas might only run 60-65. Still, they were second in points per game last year. And that was without a defense that forced a ton of turnovers or a very good kicking game. Both of those can add to your points per game. You have 10 of 11 starters back. You can add to this even more. But if TCU drops off from where they were last year, and you can be at where you were, if not rise up from where you were last year, and you can become the number one team in the conference in points per game, that automatically puts you in the discussion of being a contender. And then it comes down to the defense. If the defense is the same as it was last year, you're giving up 35 points per game, at that point you need the offense to be Kyler Murray, Oklahoma, where you're averaging 45 to 50 points per game if you want to be a Big 12 title contender. What you really need to happen is the offense to be just as good, if not slightly better than last year. And can the defense get five, six, seven points better than it was a year ago? Can you give up 28 points? Can you give up 29 points? Can you give up 30 points instead of giving up 35? Can you increase the number of turnovers you have? If you can do all of those things, then you're going to have enough that if you win a lot of these one-score games, which you have a good coach with Lance Leipold, you have a good quarterback with Jalen Daniels, then you're going to be in a position where you could win eight, nine, or maybe even 10 games. And how likely is all this? I don't know. I mean, you're talking about a point, if if you're going to get to nine wins, right, and and we're talking about a Big 12 title contender, that means you got to get at least 
six or seven in conference play, you're going to have to beat one of Kansas State, Texas, Oklahoma. You're going to have to beat at least one of them and then be clean against the other team's minus one slip-up. Or you're going to have to beat two of those and then you get two slip-ups. So it, it's a very hard math equation to get to with how many good teams you're playing. So it's not super likely. It, it's not the most likely outcome. It's far from it. But it's also not a crazy conversation. It's really not. And I keep going back to the Oklahoma comparison. Oklahoma consistently being picked second, third, fourth in the Big 12. Pretty consistently top four, if not top five. You know, it's Texas, Oklahoma, uh, Kansas State, TCU. Like, those four teams are pretty consistently being picked top four. Some people will throw Texas Tech kind of in the mix. Um, You know, might have your flavor of the month, whoever it is. Oklahoma went six and seven last year. You went six and seven last year. Both of you had defenses that really struggled a year ago. Obviously, the difference with Oklahoma is you feel like the ceiling with Brent Venables as your head coach and having another year in the program will help you. But shoot, man, with Brian Borland, that was year two, but really year one, because if we go back to year one, it was like year zero in the program. So you have big adjustments that you're going to be making too, right? So all those are are very possible and and kind of go up with you. And you both have quarterbacks back, both of them who are very good. I think Jalen better than Dylan Gabriel. You both have good offenses back. KU actually probably has more skill positions back than Oklahoma. Oklahoma obviously has maybe a higher ceiling because of the, you know, four or five star three minute stations size of players that they have just in terms of the body and athleticism of players that they're bringing in and the level that they can kind of get to. All those are understandable conversations. But if Oklahoma is being seen in that light, why isn't Kansas too? All right. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're out at uh, KU Fan Fest at the indoor practice facility. We're going to take a time out. We've got some more KU athletic stock. There's some uh, basketball news. Get some women's soccer, volleyball stuff. I want to get into the Chiefs preseason game. And then we've also got some uh, Jim Zabrowski audio coming up later in the show. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is KLWN. Bend on it. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're live at the KU Fan Fest event that's happening at the KU Football Indoor Practice Facility. If you've never been out here, it's right next to Memorial Stadium. I mean, literally, I don't know, what, 60-foot walk, something like that. Uh, if you're on the, I'm always so bad with directions, west side of Memorial Stadium is where the, the, the practice facility is. So uh, you can come on out to the event. It's officially starting at 6.30, although doors are kind of open right now. You can actually come and, and you know, start doing stuff now. They're going to be open all the way till 9 o'clock-ish. They're going to have stuff going on all day long it's going to be a great family friendly fun event too uh inside here at the practice facility where i am they're going to do like this blown up like jayhawk stuff they've got all sorts of like games they've got a i i don't know the official term for it i call it testicle toss so i'm just going to roll with that um there's also uh, like connect four there is uh cornhole we've got uh i don't know people are just throwing a football around they've got some like ku gear for sale there's some other booths that you can go up to and they've got stuff that you can get for free if you just go interact with them um there's going to be all sorts of public speakers tonight they're gonna have like travis goff here a bunch of the ku football players are going to be here too so i don't know if they're going to be signing autographs or taking pictures or what but they will be here at some point so again it'll be 639 and then right outside of the indoor practice facility they've got all the uh, food trucks going on so i i see the uh, corn dog truck which those are always delicious we got uplift coffee over here I'm seeing a uh, shaved ice place, and it looks like there's a frozen lemonade place, all sorts of food trucks out here, again, at the indoor practice facility. I'll be here doing the show until 6 o'clock. I actually have some uh, RCST trivia basketball 
shirts. So if you want one, just come on up. And uh, I only have like a handful, but if you want one, I'll give them away. Um, yeah, so come on out. I highly recommend it. It's going to be a lot of fun. There's going to be a lot of fun events going on all throughout the night here at uh, KU Fan Fest. Uh, some news from around KU here as um, I guess first I'll start with this basketball news. This was announced, gosh, I don't know, 45 minutes, an hour ago, something like that, that uh, KU basketball is going to be taking place in a charity exhibition game. So originally the KU basketball schedule featured one exhibition game against one of the Division II schools, but it didn't feature a second. And the reason for that is the NCAA allows you to either play two exhibition games or you can, in place of any exhibition game, play a, uh, a secret scrimmage. Last year, KU played Illinois in the secret scrimmage game, right? So it seems like there's a good relationship there between the two and the, the head coaches, Brad Underwood and, and Bill Self. Um, so instead of KU doing a secret scrimmage, which might have been the original plan, I think it was based on them only having one exhibition game on there, but because of what's going on in Maui right now with the wildfires trying to make money, it's kind of up in the air whether the Maui Invitational is going to happen. Are they going to be able to you know, be back and, and have everything okay? And, and from the Maui perspective, they're trying to make sure that they can build everything back up and buy everything themselves so that some third-party investor doesn't come in and buy all the land and upcharge it and not make it like a local thing. So um, KU and Illinois are going to be doing an exhibition similar to that KU-Missouri exhibition that was at the uh, – I know it's obviously T-Mobile now, but it might have been Sprint Center at the time when the two of them played for hurricane relief and the game got to be televised, fans got to go to the game, proceeds went to a good cause. That's how this one's going to go. It's going to be the Maui Strong Fund exhibition game, Kansas versus Illinois at the State Farm Center, which uh, I'm I'm not sure where that is. I don't know if that's like on Illinois or what. It's going to be Sunday, October 29th at 5 p.m. Central Time. It will be on Big Ten Network, which... um, I, I don't know. I guess nobody knows they here in the local area. Like, do you have Big Ten Network or not, maybe? Because you might not be aware of it in the past. But, uh, yeah, we'll have to figure out ways to, to find Big Ten Network. I believe the game would be on the, the radio here on KLWN, I would just assume, at that point in time. So uh, that'll be a cool opportunity to raise some good funds. And instead of it being a secret scrimmage, KU fans will be able to watch the game, listen to the game, and enjoy a good time all for a uh, good cause. I haven't seen how good Illinois is supposed to be this year. I know they're losing uh, definitely some more key players from this past year, but I don't know how they've done in the transfer portal. Certainly, though, uh, Brad Underwood's been a pretty good coach. You'd expect that to be a pretty good game. Now, uh, elsewhere around KU Athletics, the KU women's soccer team had their opener last night. They drew against Wisconsin in the season opener. They're going to play again on Sunday in Chicago at Loyola Chicago before returning home for the home opener against Vanderbilt. That'll be on August 24th at 7 p.m. at Rock Chalk Park. Meanwhile, KU Volleyball is going to open up the season tomorrow. That's Saturday at 1 p.m. in Horish Family Athletic Center uh, against South Dakota. Then they'll be off again until Friday, August 25th and the 26th when they'll be in Omaha for a tournament with Pepperdine in Omaha. Then a week after that, they'll host the Canvases Invitational with Purdue and Marquette. And uh, Purdue, typically a traditional top 25, top 15 powerhouse type team. Marquette's had some really good years recently, so that should be a lot of fun with uh, KU Volleyball kicking things off. Also this weekend, tomorrow is the uh, second preseason game for the Kansas City Chiefs on Saturday. Andy Reid said the starters are going to play in the first half of the game. 
you're just looking for them to to look more clean, to look more crisp. It was kind of, I don't know, wasn't wasn't their best stuff in the first game. Um, not really a clean start on either side of the ball for the top team. Are we going to see any more receivers break out in particular? That spot kind of got banged up with certain guys dealing with injuries over this week of practice. So we'll see what that looks like as everybody continues to wonder, both from a real life and I think fantasy football perspective, who the top receivers are going to be for the Chiefs. It, it's tough for me to gauge the defense right now because no Chris Jones, uh, but obviously they didn't look good last week. The Cardinals offense without Kyler Murray, especially no DeAndre Hopkins anymore. This is probably a bottom 10 offense in the league, maybe even worse than that without Kyler Murray. So you want to see the defense have a good performance. And after last week, just overall, I think this one becomes more significant. It becomes more critical to build up that strong play, to build up the momentum headed into the final preseason game. And so while preseason football doesn't matter that much, and I'm not sure how much this performance matters, I do remember last year being extremely impressed with how the Chiefs looked, how crisp they were on really both sides of the ball, but mainly offensively in the preseason games. And you could tell how focused they were. And that led into the season where you ended up winning the Super Bowl and having a great year. Now, if you don't do well in the preseason, are we really going to count out Patrick Holmes and Andy Reid and be like, well, preseason wasn't good. I think the Chargers are going to win the division now. No, I don't think so. But who knows, man? Again, I go back to last year, and that seemed to correlate into success in the regular season. So I will be uh, interested to see how they perform on both ends of the ball to see if they're still a little flat or if they can have that bounce whack uh, tomorrow in their second preseason game. All right, we're going to get to uh, some audio from Jim Zabrowski, the quarterback coach for KU football, coming up next. I am live from KU Football Fan Fest over at the indoor practice facility by Memorial Stadium. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, depending on it.